and we know that we've got a God who loves us from the inside out. Love that passage Daniel read a few minutes ago from Psalm 103 that He doesn't treat us in accordance with our sin. I am too incredibly thankful for that. That He treated Christ according to our sin when He went to a cross and died in our place, rose again that we may have life and have it abundantly and have it eternally. So it's good to be gathered together this morning in the place where God has called us as a congregation to worship Him, to serve Him, and to praise Him. We're going to be in a few different passages of Scripture. If you want to go to the first one, it'll be in Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, J-O-B, it looks like the word job, um, pronounced Job, very last chapter is where we're going to land here in just a few minutes. I'm going to read that passage. I'm going to read a couple of other passages, but we can turn to those in just a few minutes. This morning, as we think about continuing to understand better this God we worship, uh, I'll say this again, but the last couple of weeks we've looked at God as Father, we've looked at God as King. This morning I want us to recognize this God we worship as the God who is sovereign. It's the God who is sovereign. I'll attempt to define and explain that in a little more detail in just a few moments. Job chapter 42, if you've got that passage in the scripture, let me invite you to stand. We're only going to read one verse. It's Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job responds after everything that he's walked to, through. He responds to God in this last chapter. And he says, I know that you, God, can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Father, again, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, especially as it was demonstrated in Christ. When while we were yet sinners, he died. While we were yet your enemies, you redeemed us through his resurrection. This morning, Father, I pray as we walk through a few passages of scriptures and we take a look at this truth that you are sovereign. And Father, it would bring comfort to our hearts and boldness to our faith that we would follow you whose plan and whose purpose cannot be disrupted. We trust you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Here in just a few moments as we continue to think about the idea of God's sovereignty, we're going to land in Romans chapter 8 as well. Let me read those verses to you and then another set from 1 Timothy and then we'll dig in to try to understand what this means. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 through 30, the Apostle Paul there writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who He predestined, He also called, and those who He called, He also justified, and those who He justified, He also glorified. And then we'll land finally in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul is writing 
to this young pastor and he says, but as for you, O man of God, talking to Timothy, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life which was given to you, or of eternal life to which you were called and about which you uh, made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives light to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So I said, we are approaching this series of messages to try to better understand who is this God that we worship? A couple of weeks ago, we understood God as King. Last week, we talked about God as Father. Both of those perspectives talk about how we relate to God personally, how He relates to us personally. He is our King. And as such, He is worthy of all honor and praise, worship and obedience. And He is our Father. And as such, He is our protector, our discipliner. And He is worthy of our love and submission and respect. If we were to try to begin to describe or to take a look at the characteristics often called attributes of God, we could talk deeply about any number of truths relating to God's character. God is holy. God is love. God is truth. God is grace. God is merciful. God is just. God is righteous. Depending on which theologian we read, we could look at 20 to 25 different attributes, all of them categorized several different ways. But this morning, I want us to pause and just look at one of those attributes. And really, it's more a descriptor of God's attributes than it is an, act, an attribute. It most certainly is that, but it describes the way God operates. This morning, I pray we seek to understand God in His sovereignty. The word sovereign is only translated in the ESV translation three times in all of the Bible. All of those are in the New Testament. One of those is the Timothy passage we'll look at in a few minutes. But though the word is rare, the concept of God's sovereignty is on every single page. So what does it mean that God is sovereign? Theologian John Frame offers an extended definition when he says the sovereignty of God is the fact that He, God, is the Lord over creation. As sovereign, He exercises His rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as king. His control over all things 
and his presence with his covenantal people and throughout his creation. However, his sovereign control is not impersonal or mechanical, but it is loving and gracious in his oversight as the king of creation and redemption. Another theologian, Wayne Grudem, simplifies the definition when he says of God's sovereignty, it's simply God's exercise of rule over creation. The Apostle Paul defines it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, speaking again of God's sovereignty when he says God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Divine sovereignty is the biblical truth that God is God and you and I are not. There is no, and this is incredibly important for us to understand, there is absolutely no earthly king, earthly government, earthly dominion, ecclesiastical, that means church authority, there is no rule on earth in the universe that supersedes God's absolute authority. None. You and I will never understand all that God does in His sovereign work. But the fact that He is sovereign means that we can place our trust and our hope in Him. And that's what I want to talk about this morning when we ask the question, what does God's sovereignty have to do with me? What does God's sovereignty have to do with us? And there's three truths this morning that I want to pull that directly affect your life, directly affect our lives, my life, this church's life. And the first one of those is found in Job 42 that we read just a moment ago. I know that you can do all things, and this second phrase particularly, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Thwarted is not a word we use today. Not one I've heard used in a sentence in a long, long time. It means no purpose of God's can be upset. No purpose of God's can be changed, challenged, questioned. No purpose of God can be thwarted. This is Job's final words to God. Most of us are familiar with the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. The Bible says he was upright in all of his ways. He was a faithful worshiper of God and God had greatly blessed him. However, the deceiver, Satan, the great enemy of God and the great enemy of man came to God and sought to test Job's faithfulness. And so God permitted, God permitted Satan to attack Job. And in one afternoon, he lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his children, he lost his livelihood, his livestock, he lost his home, he lost his health. And then he had three quote-unquote friends 
They showed up to comfort him by judging him and ridiculing him and attacking him for what seems like 40 chapters in the book of Job. Even Job's wife counseled him. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? When we read these biblical stories, especially this one, it's sometimes hard for us to understand God's sovereign purpose. We're prone to ask, why did God do this? Why did God let Job's children die? Why did God remove his hand of protection? Why did God cause all of his livestock to die? Why did God allow Job to suffer so much pain? Physically, emotionally, mentally. Why did he allow him to suffer such spiritual pain? And Job asked every single one of those questions throughout this book. And God never gave him a reason. He never said, Job, this is why. But I think we catch a glimpse of the reason why in these last words of Job. In chapter 42, I read verse 2. Let me read the full context of this passage. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord, the Bible says, I know, this is the passage we read a moment ago, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge, he continues. Therefore, I, he says, I, Job, have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. He says, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want us to pay close attention to verse 5. Now my eye sees you. Job declared in the beginning of this that no purpose of his of God's can be thwarted. So what is that purpose? What is that purpose that God so sovereignly seeks? I think we catch a glimpse of it in verse 5. And that is that we will see God. That we will see Him. Not that we'll see His blessings. Not that we'll be rich and happy or suffer no pain or loss. But that we will see Him. We will be in His presence. That's been God's sovereign plan and God's sovereign purpose from the beginning of creation. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, after Adam and Eve had eaten and they recognized one another's nakedness and they had become ashamed, the Bible says they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. God wants His sovereign purpose. He wants you and me to know Him, to see Him, to live in His presence. That's His purpose. I love Jesus' response to Philip's question in John chapter 14. Philip says, says to Jesus, Lord, if you would just show us the Father, if you would just show us the Father, that'll be enough. Jesus says, 
Have I been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip? Whoever sees me has seen the Father. Whoever sees me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. Resting in the sovereign purpose of God ensures you, ensures me, and ensures our church that His purpose will, it will, without delay, without impediment, His purpose from creation of seeing Him, seeing His glory, His presence, His majesty, His hope, His love, His grace, seeing His truth and His mercy, His judgment, and even His vengeance on wickedness, His sovereign purpose will not be thwarted. And we will see God. Again, I'm reminded of Isaiah 6. The prophet says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the Revelation, John says, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the Lamb standing as though He had been slain. And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Exodus chapter 35, I love this passage. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin, the skin of his face, shone because he had been talking with God. Beloved God, is the sovereign Lord of all creation. Visible, invisible, every dominion, every kingdom, every, everything. God is Lord. Jesus says as much to His disciples in John 16, just hours before He goes to the cross. He says, when the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has given me, or all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said to you, he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. What the Father has, he's given the Son. What the Son has, he's given the Father, or he's given the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Eternally, equally God, and eternally and equally sovereign. No purpose. No purpose of God will be thwarted. I could stay here all day, but I want us to take a look at another, another truth concerning the, 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 the sovereignty of God. There's another truth that we need to understand, and that is that God's sovereign purpose, which cannot be thwarted, is good. It is good. 
Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29, and 30. It's a passage many of us are familiar with. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. I think we really like the part of this verse in verse 28 that says all things work together for good. I think we really like to cling to that. The problem is we forget the rest of the verse and we misinterpret what it means for God's sovereign purpose to be good. Our sinful heart. Our, our depraved and selfish mind, our greedy motivations and our wicked existence inevitably, inevitably defines good by that which brings me pleasure, whatever that might be. So good could be a hot dog. It could be a million dollars. It could be destroying the reputation of another person. Good could be harming someone physically or sexually or emotionally or mentally or even spiritually. Good to some of us sometimes can be destroying our own integrity so that we can get something we covet. I'll stop giving examples before I get personal. Beloved, good. Good does not equal our comfort. Good equals God's purpose. And I want us to understand how Paul defines good in this passage. First we see good is for those called according to his purpose, according to God's purpose. What is God's purpose? We've already seen. Among other things, it is that we would see Him. That we would be with Him. That we would know Him both now and in eternity. God desires that we know Him. So how does that happen? And that's the second part of Paul's definition. It actually started before the foundation of the world. Before creation. This passage uses some words that sometimes we struggle to understand. He says, those who he foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknow and predestined. Sometimes we have a difficulty wrapping our mind around these. This does not teach that God saw something out in the future that we might or might not or would or would not do. And then chose or predestined us according to that. No, what it means is that he has known you. He has known you as His child for His purpose from before the time He said, let there be light. <clears throat> How all that works, I don't know. But I know that God has known His own as His children from eternity to eternity. He has known you. And because He's known you, 
He has a predestined will, a predestined purpose for our life, a predestined will for His church that is established in eternity. And what is that will? And here's the third piece of Paul's definition of good. He says that good is that we would be that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That we would be conformed to the image of Christ. God's sovereign purpose for us, for you, for me, for our church, is that we would look like, love like, live like Christ. That we would go where He went. We would love who He loved. We would serve and minister the way He served and ministered. That we would see where God is working, as Jesus says in John 5, and be there. That we would take up our cross, that we would follow Him every day. That we would be disciples. That we would make disciples. The ultimate goal of God's good and sovereign purpose is that we would be justified, that we would be declared righteous in Christ, and that ultimately we would be glorified. That we would be with Him for all of eternity in eternity. God's sovereign purpose of calling us to Himself can never be thwarted. And it is always good. But you say not everything in this life is good. And that is a correct assessment. It's not. And that helps us to look at this final truth this morning in regard to God's sovereignty. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to this young pastor. And he says, as for you, he calls Timothy a man of God. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. We'll look at these things in just a second. He says, you though pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. You underline in your Bibles, underline those. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which He will display at the proper time, He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen, Paul says. The context of this passage 
Paul is writing to young Timothy about the rise of deception. Not the rise of deception from the world, but the rise of the deception within the church. Which is within the culture, if you will, of Christianity. Paul warns him of false teachers who use ungodly means to sway people away. He says in this passage that these false teachers thrive on controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicion and they cause constant friction among people. And Paul says, stay away from these things. Stay away from these things, but you fight the good fight and you do it this way. You pursue righteousness. You pursue godliness. You pursue faith. You pursue love. You pursue steadfastness. You pursue gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Why the good fight of faith and not the good fight of the world? Why the good fight of faith and not the good fight of the world? It's because we have a promise from the sovereign Lord that His timing and according to His will, Christ will return. And so Paul tells Timothy to keep the commandment unstained Free from reproach. How long? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which He will display at the proper time. At His proper time. And then He goes on to say, He who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The word in verse 16, sovereign, I said this a few moments ago, is, is only translated two other times. It's only used two other times in all of the New Testament and all of the Bible. The word means supreme king. It's a word we've often heard as the term potentate. Now a lot of times we use that in a negative or derogatory sense. But it means there is no higher authority. There is no higher Lord. And so beloved, our call, our call personally and our call as the body of Christ is to keep the commandment of the only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. And what is that commandment? In this passage, that commandment is to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. It means that this world is God's enemy. And it always will be. But the good fight of faith is not that we would go in and change the world. But that we would go in and we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this world and the people in this world will be transformed by the means of that pure and perfect gospel that Jesus died for our sins that he rose for our salvation the world is God's enemy it always will be lost people will always act like lost people and the fight that we are called to take 
is the gospel to those lost people. Please hear me on this. The good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is not the distractions that we live with today. It's not about fighting government corruption. It's not about converting liberals into conservatives or gays into straights or drunks to make them sober or addicts to clean or any other things. It's not to, to squash all the sexual deviance in our world. I am convinced without a doubt that if we want to end the greatest tragedies in our culture, if we want to end abortion, if we want to end racism or any other form of discrimination, if we want to end sexual assaults, if we want to end corporate and government corruption, it will never come through laws or mandates or Supreme Court decisions. It certainly won't come through Twitter feeds and Facebook likes and YouTube videos. It will be through the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. That is the good fight of faith that God has called us to. Yes, there is a place where we hold accountable those guilty of those atrocities. But punitive measures will not end sinful desires. And they will not cure wicked hearts. That only comes through Jesus Christ. That only comes through the sovereign purpose of God. To call sinners... To call sinners like you and me to Himself so that we, we who are condemned sinners, may come into an eternal relationship with He who alone is immortal. With He who alone dwells in unapproachable life, whom no one has ever seen. And no one can see. He calls us in Christ to see the unseeable. He calls us in Christ in Ephesians chapter 3 to know the unknowable. Paul says there in Ephesians 3 that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we would experience the joy that is unspeakable. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, You believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It doesn't matter what this world turns into. It doesn't matter what form of government, totalitarianism, communism. It doesn't matter if we all get robots to walk by us side by side. That does not change God's sovereign purpose. He is the King of kings. And no purpose of His can be thwarted. No kingdom will ever defeat His reign. No kingdom. His sovereign purpose, His sovereign rule. He is God and can not be defeated. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, He Himself, 
the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will be rise, raised at first and we who are alive, we who are left will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord and we will always be with the Lord. Paul says, encourage one another with these words. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 and he writes, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He tells Timothy that work is to fight the good fight of faith. Always abounding, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's going to be struggles. Yes, there's going to be trials. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. Some days it may be like Job where we lose everything in an afternoon. But many times it's in those places where we see God's sovereign hand most clearly. God's sovereign purpose is for you and me to know Him. It's for you and me to see Him as Job saw Him by faith in the midst of horrific pain. God's sovereign purpose is for the good of those He has known since before the foundation of the world. And it is to make them conform us to be like Christ. And finally, God's sovereign purpose is for us to fight the good fight of faith for His glory, for His honor, for His dominion. And so I ask us, do we worship? Do we worship a God we know is sovereign? Do we worship a God we know is sovereign in every single aspect of our lives? How can we do that? How can we do that? I think first we transform our minds by shutting out the filth of the world and tuning in to the Word of God. We must be in the Word. We must be in the Word. We cannot fight the good fight of faith with closed Bibles. We can never know the sovereign purpose of God or the God unless we are in His Word. When pain and suffering and strife comes, it is the Bible where God's speaking to us His sovereign purpose. We've got to be in the Word. Secondly, We've got to be in prayer. We've got to humble ourselves before Him. J.I. Packer, a theologian from a generation ago, wrote, In prayer, you ask for things and give thanks for things. Why? Because you recognize that God is the author and source of all the good that you have, that you have ha already have and all the good that you hope for in the future. This is a fundamental philosophy of Christian prayer. The prayer of a Christian is not to attempt 
to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of helplessness and dependence. We have to be in His Word and we have to be in prayer. We pray because God is sovereign. Finally, we have to fix our gaze. We have to fix our gaze by replacing our passions for this world with a passion for Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 3, Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I would encourage you to read the end of 2 Timothy. Paul mentions a name there. The name of a man named Demas. D-E-M-A-S. And at the end of 2 Timothy, he says, Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. And gone. When Paul writes to Philemon a little bit earlier, Demas is called a fellow worker. He was someone who had partnered with Paul. Now he is a deserter from the good fight of faith. Beloved, if we love this world, not if we love this world too much, but if we love this world at all, we will forsake God, the sovereign King. And we too will desert the ministry of Christ, of fighting the good fight of faith, and we'll be gone. We start today by repenting. Repenting of, love the wor of loving the world and not the sovereign God. Repenting of loving the temporary purposes of my happiness in this world and not loving the eternal purposes of God. I'm sovereign in His Holiness. We start by repenting of living in fear of a suffering world and not submitting to the purpose of a God whose, a God whose purpose can never be thwarted. A God whose purpose is good. A God whose purpose is conforming us to the likeness of Christ. We start by repenting of fighting the wrong fight. A fight against flesh and blood and not against the forces of wickedness. We start by repenting and then by clinging Clinging to Christ. Clinging to His sovereign purpose. Clinging to the God of His sovereign purpose. Clinging to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what faith is all about. Clinging to Him and clinging to His purpose. Clinging to His hope. Clinging to His death. And clinging to His resurrection. Who is this God we worship? He is sovereign. I'm going to close this morning by reading, by praying from Psalm chapter 29. I'm just going to ask us this morning if we will posture our hearts before the Lord. We would worship He who is sovereign.
as always, the altar is open. If you want to come pray, if you want to pray right where you are, that's fine. If you want to go to somebody here and pray with them, that's wonderful as well. And let's worship the Lord through His Word. Let's worship this Lord who is sovereign. David writes in Psalm 120, or Psalm 29, I'm sorry, in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord. O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned. Over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. Oh, sovereign Lord. King of kings, Lord of lords. You who are sovereign in purpose, you who are sovereign in a good purpose, you who are sovereign in a good purpose that brings you glory. <coughs> Our prayer of worship this morning is that we would see you as Job did. And as Job did, when he saw you, he would despise himself and he would sit in sackcloth and ashes and repent before you. That we would repent of being sovereign in ourselves. That we would repent of fighting the wrong fight. That we would repent of being away from your word, being away from prayer, being away from your gathered body, that we would repent of denying you and doubting you 
when the world around us just says, curse God and die. <clears throat> Father, this morning I pray that in your sovereign purpose you would draw us to you. For those of us who have a relationship with you, those of us who know you, I pray that you would help us to see fresh and new your sovereignty, your sovereign purpose, your sovereign grace, your sovereign goodness. And that you would help us to put to death all of those things that lie behind, that we would pick up our cross, we would follow you, that we would fight the good fight of faith, that we would step into this world that has denied your purpose, that has denied you, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of how difficult it is, regardless of how difficult it gets, knowing that from before eternity, your purpose and your plan is set. And we're called to walk in it. Father, for that one here this morning who may not have a relationship with you. They may have a relationship with church. They may have a relationship with the Bible. They may have a relationship with a preacher on TV or wherever they may have. But not a relationship with you. I pray today. According to your sovereign purpose, that they would see you. They would see your grace fill their lives. They would see your mercy extended to them. They would see your purpose of conforming them to your image. They would see Christ on the cross crucified. They would see Christ walking out of the tomb, leaving an empty. That our sins may be forgiven and we may be redeemed. And we can know you. I pray today for that person. That he or she today. Would know you and be saved. Father, I lift our church to you and pray that as we continue to move forward in what you have called us to, that you would give us clarity of thought, you'd give us discernment and wisdom, that we would see your purpose and see your plan for that purpose, and that in your abundant grace we would fight the right fight, we would fight the good fight of faith, we would see your kingdom come, you who are sovereign. King of kings and Lord of lords. Walk with us this morning. Walk with us this week. May we magnify your name in everything. In Jesus' name.